barbecue food lovers around the world. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we're going to be talking to very entrepreneurial, entrepreneur, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard word, women um, who took an adventure and, and brought good stuff out of it. Uh, we're going to start with talking to McKenna Held, who purchased a property in the south of France that was Julia Childs' vacation home, and she's turned it into a thriving cooking school. Okay, yeah, well, I just said to, to our next guest, guest that um, who is McKenna Held, um, that I can't quite get my head around her, so we're going to have an exploratory interview here, um, mainly centered around her extraordinary um, cooking school in the south of France called the Courageous Cooking School. So maybe we should just start, um, McKenna, with the name. Why is this the Courageous Cooking School? Absolutely. Um, so it's the Courageous Cooking School because we decided to open a cooking school with no recipes. And we did so because we saw a gap in the market of how cooking was taught. And I understand the importance of a recipe. I, I understand the importance of a recipe when there's not a chef standing over your shoulder telling you how to do that better. The recipe uh-huh. is the best way to explain it. And I just felt that using recipes to teach in an actual teaching environment was kind of lazy. <laughs> I, I don't need a piece of paper as a precursor to explain what we're doing when teaching students. Uh-huh. Well, now here's, here's, a fun, here's a funny thing. Let me, let, me in, let me introduce something into here. We, we talked some years ago with a wonderful lady called Anne Willen. Oh, yeah. And Anne, Anne Willen is British, but she founded a cooking school in Paris. And I asked her this question, and I'm going to ask you to answer the same question. What in all did you think the response would be to a cooking school owned by A, a British, British person, or B, an American person, when you're in France? It seems, Good it question. Seems, <laughs> it, seems, it seems slightly mad, if you, if you want. Don't mind me saying so. No, it absolutely is. And I'll tell you, it it's always when I if I'm speaking to a French person, their first question is always like, "Well, why are you more qualified?" And the point is that I'm not more qualified. I am uniquely qualified to teach the way. <laughs> and I, when I explain how I teach to the local community, I don't have a lot of experience talking outside of my local community. I I spend a lot of time here. Most most all of our clients are Americans. And that never seemed to bother them, uh, that I was American. I, I think that they're fine with that. And I think when you explain that you came up with a new way of teaching cooking, the French, except for chefs, are intrigued. Uh-huh. And I will tell you the reason why the French are intrigued is that there is this belief system that the French cook a lot. But the reality is the French do not cook a lot at exactly. home. Exactly. <laughs> 
the, the most famous grocery store in France and the most popular that has some of the highest like per shopper numbers in terms of spending is the grocery store that's Picard, which is all <laughs> frozen food. And oh, really? Oh, dear. Yes. Okay. It's 100% low boy frozen freezers, like the t- pull-up top, like you would have seen in an old grocery store in the States. I, mean, I don't even see chest freezers in the United States anymore. It's all the big ones, right, with the glass cases. And that's the most popular grocery store in France in terms of numbers and how many people shop there and all of that. And to be fair, I get it because when your frozen food is that good, made by such incredible chefs coming up with such incredible recipes to make that frozen food happen, there's just not as much happening at home. Uh And doubly so because when you are a salaried employee in France, you have a tendency to have these check déjeuner, which are the basically free lunch pass that's required to be included in your salary. So if you eat out to lunch every day, you don't cook a lot at home. Well, no, so, uh, I'm always interested in how yeah, we well, the, the, we we have so much to to actually talk about. Uh, I think we ought to jump into how you uh, picked up to start this cooking school and tell us about the setting and its backstory and what gave you the nerve to just jump into this thing like you do every day. <laughs> So tell us a little backstory here. Absolutely. So I fell upon an article in the New York Times in November of 2015, and the article was in the Friday New York Times real estate section, which is like the big real estate section time in the New York Times. It's much like the Sunday wedding section in the New York Times. You know, people look for that section. And the headline article of that Friday uh, was the house that Julia built. And when you looked at the article without diving into it deeper, if you had just kind of passed it, you might have found it unremarkable, honestly. It was a cute house with beautiful kind of sky blue turquoise shutters with little heart cutouts. It was really cute. But you would have to go to the byline to see that it was actually Julia Child's former summer home. (laughs) and I I happened to fall upon the article in an alumni forum of Smith College where I went and where Julia Child went. So the context was already placed for me, right? which I think is important. And so I already knew before I even saw the pictures, before I saw the article, who it was in the context. And I thought that the way they did it was beautiful because just saying, like, it was Julia Child's house would have probably had a different <laughs> impact in how people related to the article. And it was, that, it was the window of her house, which was covered in ivy and these beautiful <laughs> shutters that really captured my attention after I realized it was her home. Mm-hmm. And so I sent a random email to everyone I could think of in BCC copying via email, just like, wouldn't it be cool to own Julia Child's house? Sent it to family, sent it to food and wine investors that I knew, and a few other people who invested in real estate and just left it at that with the link to the article. And lo and behold, that kind of spearheaded this whole thing. And a few weeks later, I was sitting on the phone with a real estate agent and a mortgage broker in Monaco 
<laughs> we weren't even saying yes yet. We were just contemplating the possibility. And we started to make it work. Now, did you know Julia? I did not, no. She passed while I was at Smith. Never met her. Oh, okay. She was a character, absolutely incredible character. So, <laughs> and chugging along, you know. I mean, like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, who actually attends this school, this cooking school? That is a, such an interesting question because it's so varied. But here's what I will say. They tend to be women. They tend to come with a friend or multiple friends. We also have couples come. We also have families come. But, like, we'll call the median. It's a woman who brings a friend or five, because we have up to six people a week, who has a deep interest in cooking and wants to love cooking more than they do right now, but already has a pretty keen interest in cooking. And we have everything from people who have literally never boiled an egg but desperately want to but are terrified to people who come and have cooked their way through every cookbook on their shelf, but still it would terrify them if you handed them three ingredients and said, turn this into something in two hours. Mm -hmm. We're not even talking like chopped level pressure. Just like here are three things, do something with it with the other stuff in your pantry, and they can cook circles around all 150 cookbooks in their house, but that challenge makes them freak out. And understandably so, it's a different skill set. And so that tends to be the kind of person who comes to the school is someone who's really looking to change how they relate to cooking and either get better at it, shift their approach, or actually start doing it in earnest. Huh. No, um, like, you don't have that many slots available. How hard is it getting admitted? We don't currently have an admissions process, per se. So okay. you can sign up. We, we created a self-selecting process, and I, I say that with full confidence that that's true. One of the things we don't do is we don't give you the schedule. We don't tell you what you're doing. We have a very in-depth page that explains what you'll learn and the type of approaches, but we found that that was good enough for people to self-select. If you're just coming to the house because you want to cook in Julia Child's former kitchen, you can rent the house. You mm -hmm. can have other people cook for you in the house and not be in a cooking school. And so by having multiple options, we didn't end up having to have an admissions process because the admissions process is very self-selecting. And if you email me and go, well, what are we going to do on Wednesday? I will tell you I will not answer that for you. Uh -huh. And people look at me and go, well, the curriculum? I was like, you learn the curriculum when you get there. If that doesn't suit you, there are two other ways to visit the house. And so it's – because our curriculum is very clear. We say we're going to teach you how to be able to use anything in your pantry more effectively. We're going to cover some super important basics. We're going to take those basics and elevate them. And so for people who want more answers, it's not generally a good fit. For hmm. people who read it and go, oh, this is what I was looking for, it's a perfect fit. Now, is this info on your website? Yes, it is. All of it. And maybe you can give us the, the website. Absolutely. It is www.lapeach, which is L-A-P-E-E-T-C-H dot -E -E com. 
Okay. Um, now, were you always interested in cooking? Hmm. You know, I would always is a big term, right? I, I've lived a lot of lives and a lot of life in my yeah, almost that's, 40 that's years. That's why I can't figure I can't, I can't, I said to you I can't get my head around who you are. You have all these uh, different businesses. Didn't I read you were CEO of four of them? <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, I sold one, so we're down to three. <laughs> okay. Which one did you sell? Um, one that was never online. That was oh. uh, I was doing as like I, I was a secret partner. Uh, so I was I was acting CEO of a small company that we sold. Um, but yeah, so the answer is I was always interested in food, but I had a father that had worked in food and told me not to pursue it as a career, point blank. Uh-huh. And he worked in corporate uh, restaurant growth, and he told me don't do it. And so I listened to him. For well, everybody who's who's been a chef tells you don't do it. <laughs> right. Anybody exactly. who's owned a restaurant, including me, tells you don't do it. <laughs> So, you know, I was always interested in eating food. I don't even think it came as a a possibility that I would ever cook food for a living, which is interesting because that's exactly what I do now. Yeah. And it it was just not on the radar. The being on the radar was that I would start businesses, which is also what I did. Yeah. Now and, tell us about some of those. Um, I've, I've been reading about some of the the businesses. They're all a little quirky, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be insulting. <laughs> a little quirky, but like instead of going into all of them, I will just, let me talk about the through lines. So what I do is that I create experiences that help people find the best versions of themselves and expand their capacity to do better in whatever they want to do. And so that comes through as I do a lot of training with entrepreneurs. And so I'm teaching entrepreneurs how to be better CEOs. I'm teaching them how to listen to their gut rather than read blog posts to answer the questions they're looking for. There is no good answer when you're running a business, whether it's tiny or large, that comes from the Internet. There, there is, unless it's how do I send an email using an email service, <laughs> like, that, that comes from the Internet. But like the actual decisions, not the systems that support business, have to come from you and only you. They can't come from anyone else. And that's true about cooking too, right? So at the end of the day, you are the person with your palate. If you have the genetic quirk that cilantro tastes like soap, every single oh, yeah. recipe you make with cilantro will taste terrible. <laughs> right. So you're not broken. It's not even your fault. It's genetic. Like yeah. someone else in your family passed that on to you. And so everything that I have worked to do is about how do we support people's individual capacity to do what they want to do. Well, you know, this, this sounds like um, I was just talking to um, my trainer, and uh, she does, on, on one hand, she has a gym and trains people and so forth. On the other hand, she has a catering company and a bakery. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's symbiotic, isn't it? <laughs> but she works from time to time with a, a an organization that's really a, it's a single person who has resources around to support her ideas in DC, and uh, we were talking about one of the when the pandemic started, 
um, of this cocktail lounge owner, well, actually, had more than one cocktail lounge, but anyhow, came to her and, and said, you know, I need to stay open for financial reasons. Can you help me meet these um, the, the requirements for social distancing and all this other stuff that we're talking about for the pandemic? And she built, she made everybody going in there into a bumper car. She had an inflatable <laughs> around them <laughs> that made them impossible for them to get closer than six feet from everybody else. <laughs> now, that's the kind of thing that you're capable of doing. I can see it. I can just read it in you. <laughs> but I thought that was really ingenious. Don't you? Absolutely. No, that's very, very smart. That, that's yeah. a great way to create distance and make it yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, um, so now all of your other, your three other businesses, they keep going full time at a high pace. Where do you find the time for all this? I have a very great team. Uh, we are now a team of about 12. And oh, good. So each one works in their own kind of zone of genius, and we keep everybody where they need to be and focused on what they need to be focused on. And we that's kind of how we do it. And, you know, at this point, to say that it's really three, the three are merging very quickly. So we're working on how do we explain this concept of cultivating the capacity for human flourishing. And how do you? That includes food. Like, obviously, that includes if you want to build a business, how do you do it? That includes being more able to speak your mind, all of that. And so we're really working on how to synergize that into one place right now, which is kind of like what all 12 of us are currently working on. It's like, how do we get it from three to one? Hmm. So um, how far along are you in finding out the answer? <sighs> I have to ask the hard questions. I, I think we're, I would say we're close. The question is, how do we deliver it? I think we're very, very, very good at delivering cooking schools. We're very, very good at delivering exquisite experiences at Le Pichon. We're very good at doing leadership conferences. We're good at writing content. We're not so good at social media growth. Like, we just haven't needed it. It hasn't been our focus. But we're, we're good at a lot of things. And now we're trying to figure out how we take what we're good at and explain it so that it's, it, it's not as disparate. And that is definitely a challenge. I think that people like things that are simple to connect with. And that doesn't mean easy. It just means like they know that this is the thing they're looking for and this is why they're going there. So you want recipe-free cooking? The Courageous Cooking School is there for you. You want to rent Julia Child's house? It's there for you. And finding through lines that have deeper connection points, it, it, it takes some thought and it takes some being careful because – Marketing works best when it's straightforward. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your other ideas about how, how you do that? How do you connect those dots? <sighs> what have you considered up to this point? Well, we, we considered for a long time kind of creating a content-based site that was focused on connecting all the dots and kind of letting the content connect the dots. But that's, to say is a massive undertaking is the understatement of the century. Yeah, I know. It is, to, to have a company that is a, like an overarching quote-unquote lifestyle brand, I hate that term, but like that's what it is, right? That requires 
a lot of resources and a lot of content to pull the through lines together. One does not become a multi-million person, multi-vertical uh, being the topic site overnight. They generally start with like one thing, one angle, one person, and then grow into that. And we don't have like the hook, line, and sinker answer for that. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're really focused on now is starting to talk about the fact that building a business and building a new dish have a lot more similarities than people realize planning a trip to a new country that you've never been to and building a dish have a lot more similarities than people realize. They all require the same sides of your brain that you're not usually using. So rather than following a guidebook and planning your own trip, that requires the same amount and type of your brain as it does to be like, oh, I've got these three ingredients and I want to make something out of it. And so figuring out how to talk about that, this kind of what, I, what we're now deeming like recipe-free existence, how do we break free of these recipes and kind of find our own way? See, and I, I think, by the way, that, that this makes a lot more sense to me than some of these self-help books like uh, Marie Kondo with this, How to Get Rid of All This Stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's an issue I face on this daily, but you know, I, just, uh, I just, I just, I can't see how that's transferable experience, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I definitely didn't come to this, I came to this circuitously, right? Like I was already doing business consulting and what I, I am loath to call life coaching, but I will because I, I am certified yeah. in it and trained in it. And it's, I'm not here to like help you become a better person because I tell you what to do. I'm here to mirror what you love about your life and amplify it, which is the same thing as teaching cooking, by the way. Mm-hmm. You, you love okay. broccoli, but you're sick of steaming it. Okay, what else can you do with it? I mean, it's the same thing with like, building a new life. It's like, well, I really love these parts of my life, but I really hate what I'm doing with them. It's the exact same as teaching cooking. And I know plenty of people who's like, it's not. It's the same. It, it's just about the willingness to trust your taste, trust your gut, trust your intuition, however you want to word it. Trust your palate. Trust what has worked for you. And then try something new to see how you can elevate that and make it better. Now, how do you find interesting people and creative people to work with? Oh, man. I feel like I'm lucky that I just find them, but I know that's not the answer. That it, like, luck is never just the answer. or just, And also, I just magnetize them is never the answer. Uh, that can be a really simplified version of the answer. But I think when... One is willing to take risks and be seen. And I, I mean that like you make a new dish and you show it to your friends and they go, ah, I loved this but didn't love this. And you don't take that as a defeat. You take that as a learning experience. Same thing if you're building a business or you're making big leaps like I did by moving to the south of France. To yeah, no, I'm, I was going to ask you that. Are you totally relocated to the south of France now? I am. Thank you, Coben. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's Absolutely. right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, how has uh, how has this pandemic uh, 
influence the direction of your life. I mean, it's hit everybody. Yeah, I, I would say that it almost broke us. And I, I, I wouldn't say almost, it did almost break us. Um, we had a really real reality of, do we claim bankruptcy and walk, sell the house and leave? Or do we hold tight to our no refund policy, which has always been our policy. There's been some word on the street that we created the policy uh, post-COVID. It never has. Everybody who signed up for the cooking school, and they did, signed up for that policy. And unfortunately, as much as I would love to have been super-duper kind and gracious and let people have their refunds, the reality of a business like ours is we're not a tour company. We're a place that has overhead and staff that is seasonal, which means there's and because we're an American company that hires contractors, but like a year out, right, in foreign countries, EIA, uh, PPP didn't help us, like the Paycheck Protection Program yeah, doesn't help wouldn't. us pay people. No. It and, didn't help a lot uh, of people, though, I have to say. No, it it's <laughs> true. so many true. cracks that people fell through. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, so we and really dishonesty, have so much dishonesty. Oh, my gosh, so much. But we really had to hold tight to our no refund policy, which ruffled a lot of feathers. It's like, how dare you not refund people who have been planning on coming to you for two years? And I had to really batten down the hatches so that I could continue paying my staff, who I cared about and who had worked for me for a long time and, like, needed to get through the pandemic themselves, or I could go bankrupt. So I could have refunded people, but it would have bankrupted the company because mm-hmm. – you know, it, we're, again, we're not a tour agency. We don't – We all of our money comes from actually managing the property, not so much delivering the tours. That's the cheapest part. Like delivering the one-week cooking school experiences, that's the lowest cost. And you I'll have people staying on, in yeah. the house? Or what, what do you do about that? Yes, everyone stays in the house when they come. So we have to have a really nice venue for people to stay. And during COVID, we didn't have anybody staying. And we spent a lot of time uh, using the labor that would normally be spent uh, doing the cooking schools and doing doing the actual events, updating the property. But it was, it was definitely a challenge. It was, it was, And it's a challenge that still kind of chases us because we get a lot of flack for the fact that we didn't Refund anyone? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, how much goodwill did you lose through that? A fair amount. We've lost a lot of potential for collaborators. We've lost a lot of people who kind of talk about us behind our backs and be like, how dare you do that because they're refunding. And I'm going, you know, I, I have a very different business model. We book out a year and a half in advance. We also have a full-time staff that's not – like, some are seasonal, but they're still year-round with us. They work heavy in the seasons, but, like, we yeah. we contract them a year in advance because they're talented individuals. And so I wouldn't say we lost a lot of goodwill. I would say we lost a lot of um, potential goodwill. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Lots of time, basically, too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the, you're not happy about the new variant and, and the slump, but I guess you'll get through it again, huh? Right. It's not ideal, that's for sure. The new variant is a uh, concern. And it, it, what I've learned through being a business owner for a long time and through cooking is that everything is up in the air, even if you think you know what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, this has been absolutely <laughs> wonderful talking to you, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, and your name is Curious McKenna. Is that a family name? No. So I am named after the movie Somewhere in Time, which was a movie with Christopher Reeves and oh, Jane Seymour. And it's based on an island, like a piece of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And it's about time travel. And it's all very dramatic. And it was my father's favorite movie. And Jane Seymour's character was named Elise McKenna, and he got to name the girl, and I was the girl. And so McKenna, my mother wasn't happy. She she likes it now. But, uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, like, it would be like if I had named my daughter Rose after the Titanic. Like, that's the equivalent. It's like, I, it was the 80s, and it was a famous movie. Oh, dear, yeah, you're funny. Wasn't Chris- wasn't Christopher Reeve the guy who fell off a horse? Yes, yes he was. Yes, yes. So he died recently. Didn't he die recently? Yes, he did. He did pass. I don't know how recently, but a while back. A couple back. years ago, maybe. So, mm-hmm. Well, anyhow, enough of this fun talk. <laughs> you are a delight. And um, McKenna, I'm, I'm, I'm really waiting. You have to keep me posted on what's next. Okay? I will. Absolutely. <laughs> maybe maybe at some point we'll be able to travel again. This is a major upset for us not being able to travel. So. Oh, I can only imagine. Here's, I feel here's the same a way. Here's a challenge for you, my dear. I, I, re, I read a magazine, they call it a newspaper, called The Economist. And The Economist has all kinds of interesting articles about, about the whole world, especially good coverage of the United States. But I read an article in the recent issue about General Electric Company and Jack Welch. Jack, Jack Welch, who, if you ever followed business, know, know that he was called Neutron Jack because he spent his life cu- cutting off subsidiaries of General Electric that didn't make his standards in terms of how much money they made. But, but, but guess what's happened to this company, this company that he was so proud of, which had its own genre, is fracturing into little pieces. And, I, and I'm wondering huh. if, there isn't, if there isn't a place in here for someone with your kind of maverick approach uh-huh. to, 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 to take over how, how, you run a, how you run a business successfully in the 21st century when 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 what happened in the 20 in the 19th century didn't work what happened in the 18th century didn't work and we're now finding that what happened in the 21st century didn't work either facts i you know i will tell you that's one of the things i'm trying to do so during lockdown i entered an mba program at schema which is a one of the big deal schools in france for that very reason because i was ready to figure out what had gone wrong in business and see if the approach I could offer is different. <laughs> so I take your challenge. Okay. Well, you have to keep us posted on that. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, remember the um, the bumper cars. <laughs> I will. I will keep that. I might have to get some, uh, I don't know, maybe like snow tubes for my students. <laughs> if Omicron keeps going we'll get some snow tubes to wear around the waist with unicorns or something on it and they something like it yeah. <laughs> oh dear well thank you for talking to us mckenna and um 
Yeah, and hopefully it won't be the last time. I hope not. And thank you so much for having me. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we have Britain, she calls herself Brit uh, Welsh, who with uh, Tom Welsh started a creamery called Beehive Creamery, which not only makes magnificent cheese, but has also garnered endless awards throughout the, and for the, throughout the world and for the industry. Yeah, let me put something in there, just if I may. I was reading one of my favorite newspapers, The Economist, the other day. And there was an article all about American cheese responding to the fact that the economist had just published a letter to the editor that said there really wasn't such a thing as good American cheese. And we know that that's not true. We're going to have a conversation with Britain Welsh today of beehive cheese, beehive cheese. Um, and if you don't know Beehive Cheese, you should know Beehive Cheese because it just won recently, won uh, the best cheese in America or the best American cheese, although it's a cheddar, it's not American cheese, it's real cheese. Um, tell us the story, uh, Britain. I mean, you're the president. You're also the son of one of the co-founders, Tim Welsh. Um, tell us the backstory of how Beehive Creamery got started. Yeah, certainly. So Beehive Cheese was really a passion project and a love story when we got founded. So we were founded back in 2005. My father was in software back in the day, and my uncle, Pat Ford, his brother-in-law, was also the founder. He was in real estate at the time. So they decided to quit their big kid jobs with the idea to bring back the Artisan Creamery to northern Utah. So they quit their jobs, started the creamery, and the first thing they realized is they did not know how to make cheese. Yeah, that's so what I read. Lessons, <laughs> lessons I read they, they were total novices, tackling the world. Total, and, and, they, go ahead. They, they liked food. They liked food. So that was, that was their uh, claim to fame for becoming artisan cheesemakers. And then the folks up at Utah State, really great people, taught us how to make cheese from scratch. And okay, there you go. The so, fun thing. So, oh, go ahead. so it existed before. There was a tradition of cheese a, a Utah tradition, yeah. Yep. I, I, I never Which knew. I never knew. I'm sure we have interviewed some cheesemakers from Utah, but I, I can't remember. I remember being fr- uh, surprised to find out that that's where one was from. Uh, it, that's not Uplands cheese, is it? No, so Uplands is in Wisconsin. So yeah, yeah, Beehive yeah, Cheese, yeah. one of the cool things about Utah cheese is, one, there's not very many people from here, but two, there's the cows just have to go through different struggles in their life, being in one of the highest and the most desert states. So it uh-huh. affects the milk and subsequently how the cheese tastes. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to the milk, apparently. That's what um, your uncle and father figured out. And so how did they get connected up with the milk producers? So it's a funny story. So when we were in the process of building our creamery, our facility, for the first couple of months, we turned to our, our health inspector, actually, who was certifying our facility to make food. And we're like, 
hey, you know a lot of dairies. Do you ha- would you recommend anyone from around here that does good milk? And he instantly, without skipping a beat, he's like, there's the Wade's family out in western Ogden, so 15 miles away from us. They, oh, wow. I would eat my lunch off the floor of their dairy parlor. So they have <laughs> highest quality milk, low somatic silk. So our health inspector turned us on to our dairy. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and and I, I read some, I, I noted that the uh, cows, one of them was in Jersey. Cause, I mean, I had a great uncle who was a dairy farmer, so I picked on them. What was the other cow? So it's our herd is a blend of Holsteins and Jerseys. So the nice thing, Holsteins, like you were saying, yeah. the Jersey cow's milk, the butter and the cream and the protein in Jersey cow's milk is perfect for high-quality oh, yeah. artisan cheese making. And they're good mothers, too. <laughs> and they're, they're just cute. They honestly look like they're straight out of a Disney movie. Here's a funny anecdote for you. I have a cousin who, for, for reasons I will not go on to explain, stopped being an exploration geologist and decided to become a small farmer. So, so his son, who grew, who grew up around the South Pacific in places where his father was exploring for, for uh, various different minerals. And for some reason, he adopted a cow. <laughs> it, it, was, it was the most handsome Jersey cow you've ever seen. Yeah. And, the re- and he got it for a great price because it was blind. <laughs> Eventually, he did sell the cow. <laughs> it was so funny. It was, there was nothing related to this cow in where he was living or anything but he had a cow. <laughs> but the cow was, was like was like a big dog. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. It, it, it greeted him when he when he got up in the morning and said goodnight when he went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> the family pet. Yeah. So now um, the, the reason we discovered beehive creamery is you've won so many awards <laughs> i mean aren't you kind of amazed that you went from zero and what was it 2005 or something mm-hmm. um, to being at the top of the of the american cheese industry it honestly is so humbling the amount of support we've gotten from the community from our fans over the years so case in point, um, we started making cheese, and the, the recipe that we really developed in collaboration with Utah State was a white cheddar that we called Promontory after some local oh, that was your first one, area. yeah. That was our first one. But we were thinking, you know what? Everybody makes a, a cheddar. Everybody makes a white cheddar. How can we really distinguish ourselves and make a name for ourselves in the artisan cheese community? And what we decided to do, um, so my uncle is a coffee roaster out of Colorado, so we took some coffee beans that we had lying around, and then, okay, coffee's kind of rich and earthy. Let's balance <laughs> that with some floral lavender. So we put coffee and lavender on the wow. outside of the cheese just kind of as a rind and forgot about it. So a few months later, we had all of the cheese scientists coming down doing a tour of our creamery. And we're like, oh, hey, we flavored some cheese. Do you want to try it? So like, oh, sure, sure. And then we bring it out, and they're like, oh, coffee. That, that probably isn't going to work. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, let, let's try it anyway. So they taste it, and this is a this is a process I've seen hundreds of times. People taste it, their faces all scrunched up, kind of confused, and then they they like melts and they're like, oh, oh, this is yummy. <laughs> so just just the 
way the flavors come together. But anyway, we entered that cheese. We call it barely buzzed, not fully buzzed, just barely buzzed. And we entered that in a local, um, or excuse me, an, an international cheese competition in Vermont that year and won best flavored cheddar in North America with our coffee wow. lavender rubbed cheddar. Okay. And again, just totally cat. I mean, we've, we'd been in business for two years, really still figuring out artisan cheese making and really making high quality cheese. So I, I think one, we have, we're pioneers by nature, so we make fun, unique cheeses. But a lot of that, too, I mean, our heritage that we've inherited from Utah State, my grandma who helped start Beehive Cheese instilled in all of us a work ethic and a love of kind of the beautiful things in life. And all of that came together to produce a fun culture and company where we can have fun every day and make really yummy cheese. And I've read that part of your success comes to the fact that you didn't know what you what you had to know and you could do things uh, without rules just the way you got inspired to do them that that's a really good way to say it we don't know what we're not supposed to do so we do it <laughs> and it ends up working sometimes <laughs> wow now how many different cheeses you been they're all cow's milk and they're all cheddar correct so the base cheese of all of our cheeses is the cheddar and it's with that really lovely high cream jersey cow's milk mm-hmm I had a Jersey calf named after me. How about that one? <laughs> I, I, I can't say that myself. You've got one up on me. You never, you never thought about it, huh? <laughs> but, but go ahead. So you, um, you're telling us all your, all your just cheeses. Yeah, so all of our delicious cheeses, and actually our brand new cheese, and this is brand new this year, and ties back into the question you asked about our awards. So there is a cheese competition every year in Europe called the the World Cheese Awards. So they'll get thousands of entries from all across the globe. And these are bona fide Italian, French cheeses that have been making cheese for a thousand years. Um, We entered our newest cheese, dusted with mushrooms, uh, porcini mushrooms, and the Queen Bee Porcini, which is what we call it, won a super gold in Spain this year. So it was the only cheese from the United States to take that prestigious award. So we were super blown away and happy. And on top of that, the cheese just tastes good. So it's a really fun cheese. We know, I I think this was the largest number of entrants into that uh, cheese award program ever, too. Correct, yes. We were among, again, I mean, you think of things like Brie de Meaux, Parmigiano-Reggiano, old farm style cheddar from England. So it's it's a very prestigious competition among you bet. the greats of cheese making. Did you well, did you run What do you get for that? Just the bragging rights or do they have uh, ribbons or cards cash awards or what? Um for that one there was only well we got a a medal, so an actual like super gold medal. And then yeah, just the, the prestige of doing well on an international stage which Humbling is an understatement. Uh, did, did, have, you, have you come across a British cheese company called Neil's Yard? I actually have sampled cheese. I worked there one day, sampling <laughs> cheese to a bunch of oh, yeah. curious little <laughs> you Brits. Spend a lot of American cheesemaker was doing over I mean, there. They're, they're, <laughs> That's a they're, beautiful they're, store. They're, they're Isn't that wonderful? Their shop is redolent of cheese. You can smell the cheese from five blocks away. <laughs> That's the mecca of cheese, honestly. 
they, yeah. they do they did something very interesting and how how it would be applicable to your environment of course i don't have the slightest idea but they they their business model said we will contract with farmers and we will we will buy all their cheese and we'll put it in our shops but the farmer won't have to worry the cheesemaker won't have to worry about whether or not there's a market for his cheese because the market already exists because it does yeah interesting and um, on top of that they curate it too and age it out yeah yeah, it, yeah. They, well, they, there's a they, lot of they, aging that goes on to there too that yeah, they're very they, good at they, they buy it almost at the point where it's made and then they, and then they keep it until it's time to time to sell and the, the only thing the only thing that upsets me about Neil's yard all the time is the price that that uh, Whole Foods Market sells it for. Yeah, <laughs> which, is a, which is a which is a national disgrace. Yeah, and uh, I mean the, we have a big market. It's not always the case in the U.S. for cheese. Uh, and I mean we've we've interviewed the Vermont cheese uh, creamery. Um, people and, and you know all that and and it was a, a while coming but now we're, we're top cheese consumers again the u.s um and i never understood they opened at the height of the, the of this frenzy for cheese they opened that place in, in new york city and we went to the opening and um i it was like a huge space and they had all the, uh, the, the rooms for the affinage, and they had, you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, and right, uh, right. it went out of business. Why, I wonder. It was art- artisan, right? Wasn't it? Lovely? Artisan, yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the creamery which that was, but I I know I mean speaking for myself and from what I've seen at Beehive Cheese over the last two or three years, the pandemic has been really weird and yeah. really upheaved the industry. So I imagine that might contribute to it. And just, I mean, there's so there was a movement in the United States. This was toward the beginning of COVID, but this idea of victory cheese. So you What's need to that? support it. Or, so the concept, and I'm actually just going to look up the website so I can be sure to do their, uh, do their slogan some justice. Victory but the cheese. concept is we have all of these uh, small local farmers in the United States, and it's not um, a right to have access to really good food. It's a, it's a privilege, and it's through supporting local artists and producers that we maintain the rich cultural food heritage of the places where we live. So that's something that's been very, very key to us, and I can imagine, I mean, New York City, if they're going out of business, if folks yeah. don't really go out and support the small guys, it's really tough for us in these crazy, volatile markets to stay around here. Yeah. So that's one thing we've noticed at Beehive. Our fans have really come out to support us. And, oh, I mean, really? it makes it sound like, like we're a sport team, sports team, but it really is cool. <laughs> and like, some of the emails we get of people taking pictures just in their house of the cheese they're eating, it's like, hey, we're doing something special. Like, people really get crazy about good cheese, and it's fun to be part of that story in people's lives. Yeah. I, I guess that that your sophistication, Beehive Creamery sophistication, has soared um, in, in the years since its founding. Um, so, 
what what adjustments have you made for for marketing your cheeses? Uh, that just over time. Yeah, I mean you've, you've become. I mean, I guess I'm asking two questions. One, what kind yeah, of yeah. adjustments are you involved with in in, in um, creating the cheeses? And what what have you done to um, to to um, market that's different? Yeah, so I think for me personally, as the president of Beehive Cheese, marketing is not only the story we tell every tell everybody, but it's also how we live our lives. So it's not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk. Mm-hmm. So this would have been about three years back. I remember we were having my family and some of the other managers from Beehive Cheese. We were sitting around the dinner table, and it was a beautiful autumn day. We were up in the mountains, so you look out, and there's the beautiful red and yellow leaves. But we all started reminiscing. Okay, this cheese journey we've been on for 10 years, what, what keeps us here? What do we love about it? And to the person, there is a consensus that it's all about the people we've met over the years, the people who love our cheese, the folks we get to do business with, the people we get to see at work every day and work alongside. So that's when we coined our, our tagline, which is very true, of making friends with cheese. It's was all about love. It, re- it is, and it's, it's fun and it's true. So it's not words, but we really do feel like every day we're blessed to come to work and make friends through artisan cheese making. No, I mean, I guess I have two more questions. I mean, how many different um, cheeses do you make? And also, um, how accessible is this? Where can it be bought? And you might as well throw in your website, which is, if I recall correctly, just Beehive, Beehive Cheese. No, it's Beehive Creamery. No, Beehive, Beehive Cheese. com is the website. So yeah. um, to answer your question of the number of cheeses we make, we make about a dozen different rinded cheeses. And again, just kind of this idea of pioneering rubbed rinded cheeses is it's fairly simple to try out new ideas. So not all of them have been winners. We tried a cherry, maraschino cherry and chocolate chip cheese that oh, went totally rancid and the wheels actually, <laughs> the, the wheels blew up. It was so fermented that it caused enough gas to explode the wheels. So not all of our cheeses have been successes. But it actually caused an explosion? Yeah, it, it does. So that the microbes inside of the cheese um, oh no, it blew break, it up. break down the sugars, break down the sugars, make carbon dioxide, and the wheels will literally, I mean, not violently explode, but they'll crack <laughs> and break open. So it's highly unstable. That's that being funny. Said, though, um, we, we've done a lot of really good flavors. So we have a sea salt and honey rubbed cheese. Oh, that's delightful. Cool. That sounds do, great, yeah. Um, one with New Mexican hatch chilies called Red Butte. After the really beautiful Red Rocks, we can find out here in Utah. Yeah. And then our, our best-selling cheese is our Barely Buzz with the coffee lavender. So that's just, just yeah. fun, crazy cheeses. Well, it's been a revelation to us, and I wish you continuing success. And again, uh, listeners, um, go to beehivecheese.com and read the backstory, read the, uh, the, the what differentiates this product from all the other cheese products and how you can get some. Oh, and also all the, the many awards that they've won. And don't, don't forget, lovers, all those places that the cheese is available, like Williams-Sonoma and... Oh, yeah, well... A wide variety of the, of the top kitchen people, I guess. Do you want him to say that? 
Yeah, well, I'm going to allow him to say that if he'd like. <laughs> I'm going to allow him to say if he'd like to. I, I would have thought he would jump right on. <laughs> well, I, I was I was just being polite and waiting my turn. So. <laughs> but, well, yeah, you've so, been a delight, so, too. Tell right. us. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Yeah, so just where, where to find our cheese. So our website, we're uh, saying hi to us directly through beehivecheese.com. Uh, we ship all over the country, and we're pretty good at it. So if you order it, we can get it to you in good shape. And then a lot of a lot of grocery stores support us, so you can find it at Whole Foods Market, um, a lot of the Kroger banner stores. You can also find our cheese. Great. Well, I wish you, as I said, more awards, more continuing success. Well, thank you, and it's been a treat visiting with you, talking to your questions, and getting to know you guys. Thank you. Well, maybe we'll run into each other sometime. <laughs> If you're ever out in Utah, please, please hit yeah, us we up. Go, we go through northern Utah all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's a little out of the way, right? <laughs> I'm supposed to be beautiful, so let anyhow. Me the, let me hit the buns before we get too carried away. Okay. Bye, bye for now. Goodbye for now. Thank That's just about it. Um, we're going to close out today. What to say? Go Steelers. <laughs> <laughs>